Hey, welcome to part four of our series, How We Change the World. We've been studying the book of Acts. We've been seeing how God uses people just like you and just like me to change the world. In fact, to be part of the movement that has changed the world more and in better ways than any other movement in human history. I wonder today of all the things you could do to help the people around you, to help your loved ones, to help our nation and our world of all those things, if I could tell you the one that will have the best results, the most lasting results to help you and your loved ones, would you wanna know what that one thing is? Well, it's what we're studying as we continue in Acts chapter two. Now I wanna start by reviewing what God taught us last week. We use this picture of a car to summarize everything we've learned so far in Acts chapter two. The first thing we learned is that if we wanna change the world for the better, we've gotta have Jesus above all else. Only Jesus has the power to transform the human heart. Only he can take a person who was selfish and make them loving. Only he can take a person who was a murderer and make them a servant. Only he can take each of us and transform us for the better. We've got to have Jesus. Second thing is we've got to have the Holy Spirit. We learned that the Holy Spirit lives within us as the supernatural presence of God to continue the miracle ministry of Jesus. Anything that God calls you to do in this world, this Holy Spirit will empower you supernaturally to do. Well, then we learned that we've got to be people of the word and prayer. And it's not like there's 50 things on this list, by the way, of how we change the world. In Acts 2, 42, we've seen it's Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Then we'd be devoted to the word of God, to praying our emotions to God. And last week we learned the fourth tire, if you will, the tire of fellowship. Now, if you're a car person, you might remember that last week I showed you a picture of a Jeep Grand Cherokee. And I said, if you're not a Chrysler fan, that's okay. Well, I'm showing this Subaru because we got an email from Brent, one of our viewers online. And Brent said, I work for Subaru. I believe they're the best cars in the world. Would you please use a Subaru next time? So Brent, this one's for you. But I also know we've got a lot of Ford fans in our church. So Ford fans, come on. Can we give it up for the new Ford Bronco? Even if you're not a car person, is that not a thing of beauty? Now, I'm going to be honest here. You guys know I'm a Toyota guy. I'm a Toyota Land Cruiser guy when it comes to off-road vehicles. So I just want you to note, I am laying down my will to serve the larger body of Christ by showing a Ford and a Subaru and a Jeep and not a Toyota, okay? But look at this, the four wheels haven't changed. If you don't wanna have a flat tire in your spiritual growth, if you wanna actually be moving forward, no matter your past, no matter your mistakes, no matter your shame or anything else, if you have these four tires inflated in your life, you're gonna see traction, you're gonna see spiritual growth. If you haven't yet believed in Jesus, you can do that today. You don't have to earn your salvation. It's as simple as calling out to God and saying, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Would you forgive me? If you're a believer, but you haven't yet experienced the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, then even right now you can say, God, I wanna have the Holy Spirit, just like the church did in the book of Acts. I want the Holy Spirit, ask God for that. Next tire, if you don't have a Bible that you love reading, 
text the word Bible to us. We'll get you a life application study Bible and we'll even teach you how to use it. Prayer is just one day at a time giving God our emotions. And then last week we learned this fourth tire of fellowship. That is simply having other believers who know what you're going through. They're praying with you. And by the way, uh, almost 400 people now have gotten into groups and fellowship in the last month. But if you don't have a group yet, text the word group to us. Well, I don't know if you've ever been in a big city where you look up at the skyscrapers. I remember when I was doing my undergraduate degree in journalism, I spent a couple summers in New York City. And I remember the first time when I was in Manhattan and I was walking around and I just spent time looking up, just staring straight up at how tall these skyscrapers are. I mean, it's incredible, and especially when you're in a, a big city like New York or Chicago and these huge buildings, they just keep going and going. And I remember for me in my early 20s, as I was staring up at these skyscrapers, just getting this sense of how small I am and really of feeling like, how in the world could I make a difference in such a big world? In fact, some of you know my journey that through journalism, I was trying to make the world a better place, to report on corruption and to hold people accountable. And that's one way to make the world a better place. But as I found a relationship with Jesus and as I saw him transform me, I became convinced that the movement of Jesus is the greatest force for social good in all of human history. You know, we live in a time when our world is so desperate for some help, so desperate for improvement. And I think many of us right now, we've looked to different areas, hoping that that person or that entity would maybe bring some rest and some help to all the crises of 2020. And yet so many of these things continue to not deliver on all that they promise. You know, if you think of 2020, we can summarize it so far, just a little bit of what we're going through between the coronavirus, wildfires and natural disasters, us being reminded of the deep racism that is part of human nature and sadly still exists in our society and the economic downturn for so many local businesses and for so many people who are out of work as a result of the coronavirus. I mean, these are just four of the things that in 2020, between division and disinformation and riots and floods and injustice, I think we all feel a little bit like I felt when I stared up at those skyscrapers. We're wondering this, how can I make a difference in such a big world? I mean, maybe you haven't asked it in those exact words, but I'm guessing sometime when you watched the news or you heard some report or you saw something on TV or social media that you felt a little bit of this feeling of, man, what can I even do? I mean, things are so broken and they're so big and, and really I'm so small compared to these huge, huge problems. Well, if I could answer this question for you today from the word of God. If God would speak to you today and say, here's how you can make an outsized difference for good in this world, would you want to know how? Well, that's what we're going to learn today as we continue in the book of Acts. Now, I want to remind you as we look into the word of God that these early believers, they lived in a culture that was just as broken as ours. 
In fact, according to historians and ancient documents, the world they lived in was probably even more broken. It's a world where slavery was still an open, normal, and legal thing. In fact, a large percentage of the population would have been slaves. We worry if democracy is going to survive in our nation, perhaps. But this was a time when these people didn't even know democracy at all. They lived under Roman rule. They lived under a dictator who could kill whoever he wanted, whenever he wanted. This was a society that didn't have modern medicine. And so the kind of plagues and viruses that we're concerned about right now were normal for them. In fact, the average life expectancy was about 44 years old because most people would die of various viruses and plagues. It was a world where women's rights did not even exist. Many women were bought and sold. So this was a broken, broken world. And what we know from the last 2,000 years of history is that Jesus took the 120 people we've been learning about in Acts chapter 2, and he used them to start cathedral schools and universities and hospitals, which would go on to lay the intellectual foundations for what we today call human rights and women's rights and even democracy as we know it. We've got a book that describes all this called Jesus Skeptic. And especially if you're wondering, do Christians actually make the world a better place? Contact us, we'd love to get you a copy of the Jesus Skeptic book. Now let's look at this group of 120 people when they were living in a terrible world that was way bigger than they could change or control. And God said, you're going to go be my witnesses. And all they knew to do was obey Jesus. Here's what we're told about them in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves. And we've been learning in this series the importance of that word devoted. It wasn't a list of a hundred things, but there were a few things that they were devoted to. I mean, every day and every week they were doing these things. The apostles teaching, that is the word of God. They were devoted to scripture. They were devoted to what God teaches us through his word. And we've learned that as well. They were also devoted to fellowship, to being in relationship with each other, just like we're devoted to that as a church. The breaking of bread, which was taking communion as well as just enjoying meals and laughing together, and to prayer. Now, as they did this, it became their lifestyle. And that's why the very next verse says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. In other words, verse 46 says, this isn't just something that they did on occasion. This was their very way of life. That's why we often say at Connection Point, if you really wanna grow spiritually, do three things. Gather every weekend, whether it's online or in person, make it your point to gather. Get into a group and start serving. If you'll do those three things, you'll grow. We see them here. They would meet together in the temple courts. That's the equivalent of what we're doing right now, the weekend service. And they ate together. Yes, that includes communion, but it's all about just hanging out and having fun and sharing life with glad and sincere hearts. The people devoted themselves to this way of life. And now look what God does in response to their faith. In verse 47, it says this, the Lord added to their number daily. So it wasn't them adding to their number. It's not like they were so good at reaching their neighbors that they did it. No, they were being faithful to Jesus and they were reaching out to their neighbors, but it's God who added to their numbers. 
What does it mean that he added to their numbers? It means that one person at a time, he transformed people, that God changed people, that God would take a heart that was bent on selfishness and transform it to be a heart of service, that God would take a person who was an addict and he would set them free. This is exactly what we see God continuing to do today at Connection Point as Jesus continues his miracle ministry through faithful people. Here's what we're learning today from the Word of God. Be faithful to God's Word and be faithful to God's work and then He will use us to change the world. You know, how do we answer this question of how can you go change the world? Well, part of the answer is that you and I can't, but God can and God is. And we get to be part of what God is doing when we're faithful to his word and faithful to these basic things we've been learning in Acts chapter two. You could sum it up this way. Our part is to be devoted devoted to those same four tires that we saw in the Ford Bronco and the Subaru and the Jeep, the tires of God's word and prayer and fellowship, being led by the spirit, being committed to Jesus, who's the head of the church. That's our job. We be devoted to those things. And then God does his part. The Lord added to their number every day he was bringing new believers. You could put it this way. When we stay faithful, to God's word and work, then he changes the world through us. I've got to tell you, there's nothing more fulfilling than getting to be part of God's work of changing the world. One of the things I love, it's actually why I gave up a really rewarding career in journalism to be a pastor, is that there's nothing more fulfilling than seeing God change individual lives and families and neighborhoods and communities and actually change the world, not through us having it all together, but just us being faithful to a God who does hold all things together. Well, I don't know if you've ever made a sandcastle. I'm guessing you have. Maybe you can remember and recall the feeling of the sand in your hands as you shape a sandcastle. The other day with my three kiddos, we were watching a YouTube video about the world's biggest sandcastles. And I've got to tell you guys, there's some huge sandcastles out here. I mean, look, that's a person right there. That's a guy. This thing's, I don't know, what, 50 feet tall? This thing is massive. And we were watching this YouTube video and some of these sandcastles were so fascinating. But to me, the most interesting thing, and some of you guys know I kind of have a sick sense of humor. The most fascinating thing to me was that there was this group of people who had spent months they wanted to break the world record of the world's biggest sandcastle. They had spent months on it. And then before the judges could arrive to measure the height of it, there was a rainstorm and the sandcastle got washed away by the storm. Super tragic, but also, I mean, kind of ironic because that happens to every sandcastle. So I don't know if they could have been too surprised. But here's the thing, every solution in our world to make the world a better place, and so many of them matter, and so many of us have given our lives to them, people knowing the truth, people being educated, these things matter. And as followers of Jesus, we should be at the leading edge of these things. But every solution in this world is a temporary solution. 
every solution in this world really in time will prove to be a sandcastle. Why? Because there is a rainstorm coming called death. Every single one of us has a clock that is ticking down toward our final day on planet Earth. No, none of us outlive death. And every solution apart from God is a temporary solution. In fact, I want to take you a little bit deeper into the word of God. And I want to give you an overview of this reality that only God can change the world. And anytime we hear someone ask, how are we going to change the world as followers of Jesus? The answer is only God can change the world, but God wants to change the world and he invites us into the process. Let me take you on an overview from the book of Genesis when God first spoke Adam into existence and he created humankind all the way to the book of Revelation which predicts when Jesus will return. Now if you want in your life application study Bible you can look up each of these passages and you can go deeper and deeper into the word of God. You can even take a picture with your phone of each of these references. In Genesis 1, God created the world. So who has the power to actually change the whole world in a way that lasts across many generations? None of us do on our own. But God created the world. Then we know sin infected the world in Genesis chapter 3. That's why we have death and sickness and racism and shortages and every other pain and suffering we have results from sin and Satan and the choices that other humans have made. Well, then the world got so evil that we're told in Genesis chapter 6, everyone was doing evil all the time with the exception of a righteous guy named Noah. And God was so fed up with the evil, people hurting each other and killing each other and abusing each other, that he actually flooded the earth. But he made a way out for Noah and Noah's family. And that's so symbolic because God does judge sin, but he always provides a way out for the righteous. Well, even after the world was kind of cleansed of evil and it started over with Noah's family, guess what? Humans rejected God again. And the entire Old Testament of our Bible describes God constantly reaching out to people and people constantly saying, no, thank you, God. We're not going to be faithful to you. It's a situation where most powerful creators would have given up on their creation. But we're told in John chapter 3 that God so loved the world. The cross is the pinnacle of human history. It's the center of the universe and time and eternity. When God himself took upon him a human form, he so loved the world that even though we had rejected him time and again, he willingly absorbed the consequences of our mistakes. God created the world. He flooded the world. He so loved the world that he suffered even though he was innocent. He was crucified in our place so that he could give eternal life, freedom from sin and shame to all who will believe in him. Well, we're told in Romans chapter 1 that humans continue to reject God. In fact, each of us at one point in our life, we were rejecting God. And maybe you haven't yet believed in Jesus. Today could be your day where you say, God, I, I want to believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Well, after that, Jesus gives this mission to the church. He uses us to declare his love and his patience. If you ever look at the injustice in the world, the, uh, all the problems of the world, and you think, why is God letting this go on? The answer is his love and his patience. 
every minute and every hour that he allows evil to continue is a minute or an hour where he's allowing billions of people one more minute or hour to turn back to him. But that clock is also ticking and eventually that clock will run out. We live in this era where God is using us to declare his love, but there's a great struggle between good and evil. And we see that in our time, don't we? We sense the great struggle between good and evil. In 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4, Paul describes what the end times will be like, and he describes that struggle. But here's the good news. The very end of the story is that God will create a new heaven and a new earth. So when we say, how can we change the world? Well, the reality is God will change this world. In fact, scripture says he'll melt down planet earth. He'll create a new heaven and a new earth. And just like he rescued Noah out of that flood, he will provide a way for all who have been made righteous by believing in Jesus to be part of the new heaven and the new earth. There will be a new Jerusalem. There will be a new Garden of Eden. There will be a new tree of life that gives us immortality and there will be no sin. There will be no suffering. There will be no sickness. He will wipe away the final tear from our eye and we will live in a land where there's no racism, where there's no crime, where there's no cancer. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the greatest hope for all of humanity. In fact, Hebrews chapter 9 puts it this way, probably not a verse that you'll see on TV anytime soon. Each person is destined to die once, right? We don't like to think about this, but we all will. God says we're destined to die once. And after that comes the judgment. Every person you know and love will stand before God one day and be judged for their life. I will stand before him and be judged for my life. You'll stand before him and be judged for yours. Now, if any of us are judged on our own merits, we are not good enough to get into a perfect place where there's no sin or suffering. Why? Because we carry sin within us. What happens when you place your faith in Jesus is that he washes away the sin that you carry within you. He gives you a new nature so that when you stand before God in this judgment, he's not going to see your record of right and wrongs. He's going to see the record of Jesus Christ who was perfect. This is why it's so important that you believe in him. The most important thing you can do to change your world is to place your faith in Jesus. And the most important thing that we can do for our world is to make sure that everyone we love and care about knows for sure that they have eternal life and then that they have freedom from sin in this life. Well, let's look back at this chart and let's ask this question, where are we? We're right in this phase where God has entrusted to us this good news of Jesus. The struggle between good and evil is continuing. And at any day, Jesus could return in the clouds. Uh, in fact, for those of you who pray, I'd ask you guys to be praying for me as God's just putting it on my heart to prepare a series teaching from the Bible. What does the Bible say about the end times? I can't tell you yet when that'll be, but God is putting it on my heart. And I'd ask you to ask him to give me wisdom about when we should study that together as a church. So here's the question. What does God expect of us? Well, he doesn't expect us to go out and change the world in our own strength. We can't do it. But here's what he does expect of us. He expects us to be faithful. Faithful to his word, 
faithful to obeying Jesus. He knows we're not perfect at it, but he does expect us to try to be consistent at it. As we're faithful to God's word and to his work, to the local church that we're part of at Connection Point, then he will change the world through us. And church family, we're seeing that. We're seeing him change the world. Well, let me share with you a story from the book of Acts about one of these transformed people, a man who was a murderer and God transformed him because of the faithfulness of God's people. This guy's name was Saul. Saul hated Christians. In fact, he was part of murdering Christians. Jesus appears to Saul and Jesus is really the one who changes Saul, but he's going to use Ananias and other faithful believers to be part of his process. So Ananias went and found Saul. This is right after Jesus had appeared to him. He laid his hands on him. Saul had gone blind and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And God so transformed Saul into the apostle Paul that he would become the greatest missionary and apostle of his time. In fact, he would go on to write most of the New Testament. Only Jesus could have done that, but Jesus used a faithful believer, Ananias, and Jesus sent Ananias to Saul. Here's my question for you today. Who is Jesus wanting to send you to? Who in your life is not ready to face that judgment before God? Who in your life, maybe it's in your neighborhood, maybe it's in your family, maybe it's in your workplace, there's a person you love and care about and the greatest thing you could do for them in the world is to go to them, just like Ananias went to Saul, and say, hey, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. Anytime you have questions, I want to help you know Jesus. Are you listening to God in that way? Would you obey the Lord in that way? You know, the Saul to Paul conversion, it's a case study of what God can do when believers are faithful. Faithful to the master, faithful to the work of God in the world through the church, faithful to God's word, faithful to the other believers. The only lasting way to change the world for good is to bring them to Jesus. In fact, Paul himself would go on to say this when he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. This is talking about people who had just become believers. And Paul says, I planted the seed in your hearts. What's that? That's when he preached a sermon saying Jesus died on the cross for you. Paul says, just like a farmer, I planted the seed. And then he says this, Apollos, a second apostle, watered the seed. So I planted it. Apollos then watered it. But it's God who made it grow. It's such a beautiful picture because so many new believers who we see here every year, we can look back over years and years and there's one person who shared Jesus with them. There's another person who showed them what a Christian transformed life looks like. There's usually a relative who was praying for them year after year. One plants, one waters, sometimes more than one continue to do that. And in time, God makes it grow. God brings about that little sprout of new life. And this is how we change the world one person at a time. I think about this. You can't change the world if you can't change people. And the only way to change people for the better consistently in a lasting way is through Jesus. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen during the Olympic sprints, this runner Usain Bolt 
as one of my favorite guys to watch because he's so insanely fast. I mean, he's so much faster than the other guys. Look at this. These are three of the other fastest sprinters in the world. And he's looking back, which is a waste of energy. And he's smiling. He's like, I'm just having fun beating the fastest people in the world. That's how fast I am. What a perfect last name for Usain Bolt. Now, here's a question for you. When Usain Bolt wins a race, which part of his body should get the credit? I mean, is it his feet? Is it his pumping arms? Is it his lungs? Is it his brain? Which part of his body allows him to win a race? Well, the reality, and you know this if you've been a runner, is that it's every single part of his body. I mean, from the toenails, to the brain cells, to the eyes, to the lungs, it's every single part of the body working in concert together that allows him to run at such an insanely fast speed. And did you know it's the exact same with the body of Christ? God has a plan for your life for you to change the world in ways that you could never do on your own. But as you be faithful and devoted to the body of Christ, you say, I'm gonna have a church family at Connection Point. That's gonna be my family. I'm devoted to them. And I'm devoted to the word of God in prayer. And I'm devoted to fellowship. All of us different parts of the body, we function together and we're able to accomplish things that no one of us could do alone. And those things, are changed lives, transformed lives, changed people end up changing the world. And it happens when we unite as the body of Christ. Well, within the last two weeks, I've heard three stories of brand new believers here at Connection Point. And let me show you one of them. Here's Cheryl. She was just baptized this last week. And I love Cheryl's story because Cheryl was invited into our movement by her friend Deanna. And Deanna's been part of the Connection Point family for years, and she's just loved Cheryl as a friend, and she has just welcomed her into the church family. Cheryl has heard the word of God. She's in fellowship with a believer who's shown her what it looks like. And Cheryl, we're so proud of you for taking this step of faith to make Jesus your savior, to publicly proclaim it. Deanna, I'm so proud of you. We're so proud of you as a church family. Thank you, because of you, we get to change the world and Cheryl is gonna have eternal life. Way to go, Deanna, and way to go, church. Just like an Olympic runner, it's all of us working together that Cheryl and the other two who've believed in Jesus within the last couple weeks have been added into the family of God. You know, I love the picture of this baptism because most people don't know it, but there's a guy in our church named Bob Lemon who takes care of this baptismal. He always makes sure that it's at the right temperature. He makes sure that the water's clean. He makes sure that everything is set up so that it's a really pleasant experience. And Bob is one of dozens of people who you might not never see on stage, but just like all the parts of Usain Bolt's body, without those parts, we wouldn't see the growth. We wouldn't see the life change. We wouldn't be changing the world without faithful people. We're so passionate about adding people into the kingdom of God because Christ is the only eternal hope. He's the only lasting hope. Only Jesus can change lives and he uses us. So let's review what we've learned so far. How does God choose to change a broken world? Well, he chooses to use faithful 
people. He chooses to use you and me as we commit to be faithful. In fact, it's because of your faithfulness that we have got more than 20 missionaries reaching 20 people groups all over the world. Every single day, people are hearing about Jesus in India, in Kenya, uh, in inner city Chicago, in all around the United States and the world, 20 different people groups as well as thousands of people online because of our faithfulness and our combining our gifts as a church family. God is changing the world through us. This is why you'll often hear us say we're so committed to connecting people to Jesus and others. That's our mission as a church. And as a result, we're committed to doing things we've never done before to reach people we've never reached before. Uh, if you were with us back around Memorial Day, you heard Al Unser Jr.'s testimony, how he came into our church building in Brownsburg on a Saturday night, heard the good news of Jesus and how Jesus is transforming his life. He's in a small group, a Monday night small group with some other guys. God continues transforming his life. You know, there was a time when we didn't have a Saturday night service, but I'm so committed to that service. Why? Because we do things we've never done before to reach people we've never reached before. As I read the book of Acts and I watch it go from Acts chapter 2 all the way to the end, the, the actual movement of the church, it continues to adapt as God is working. And as we grow and are led by the Spirit, we'll continue to adapt in the same way. But there are things that never change. That Jesus is the head of the church, that His Holy Spirit empowers us, that the Word of God and prayer are what we're committed to, as well as fellowship with one another. And some of you are saying, John, that's like the eighth time you've said that in this message. I know. I'm hoping you have it memorized by the end. Well, earlier I asked you to think about looking up at skyscrapers and feeling so small. I think the reality of the world around us right now looks a little bit like this. This is an emotional picture. I think most of us remember exactly where we were on September 11th when those terrorists motivated by a satanic ideology flew those planes into these towers intending to kill people. The very work of Satan in this world to kill and steal and destroy. And we remember the destruction and we remember the fear and we remember tragically the thousands of people who lost their lives. When I think back on September 11th, I think of those heroes, like the, the one guy on the airplane, United 93, who took the plane down instead of letting it crash into a building. I think of the firefighters there in New York City who saw that building on fire and they actually ran into a burning building. And they actually ran up the stairs to help people, to make sure people could find a way out. When people were trapped in one part of the building, firefighters who would go up into the fire and into the smoke to save lives. Do you know that this is what God has placed us on earth to do? If you look at 2020 and you feel like the world's on fire, guess what? You're correct. You're finally awake. The world is on fire. The world needs Jesus because there's no other hope that is an eternal hope. There's no other hope that can change the world for the better, that can give eternal life. There's no other hope. And so church family, I'm so proud of you that together we are running into the burning building. And as we conclude this series from Acts 2, I want to light a spiritual fire, a healthy fire that says we are here to reach the lost. You know, the church is the only organization that exists for the people who aren't here yet. 
I think back spiritually to what happened after September 11th. Many churches filled up. In fact, this church, Connection Point, it was before I got to be part of it, but this church experienced a lot of growth during that time of brand new believers. Why? Because people realized we need God. And here's the thing, church. Uh, we're in a time where so many of our neighbors are realizing they need something bigger. They need a higher power. They need some help from above. And church, we are here not merely to be comfortable, not merely to survive, but we're here to run into the smoke and into the flames to set captives free. And as a church family, we're committed to continue reaching the lost. God will bring them to salvation if we will be faithful, if we will be devoted. I think in 2020, the rest of this year, as well as into 2021, we may have one of the greatest spiritual opportunities of our lives where people who live comfortable suburban lives are shaken awake to realize that this world ain't heaven and we get to be as their neighbors, as their relatives, as their coworkers, those gentle voices that say, you're right, this world is broken, but God's gonna remake this world. And I want you to be there with me when he does. I want you to believe in Jesus so that you can have the peace I have in this life and the promise of eternal life. Well, you might be watching this and thinking, yes, John, I agree. How do I make sure that I'm part of that? Well, here's how we put it. Gather, group, and serve. I mentioned this earlier. Keep being part of these services every weekend. And by the way, if you've just believed for the first time during this message, you can text the word on the screen right now and text that number. We want to help you as a new believer. No matter how long you've been a believer, you need to be in a group. And if you're not yet in a group, we'll put a, a number on there for you to text the word group to join a group. As we keep gathering and living out Christ's teaching in groups and serving one another, God will keep transforming the world through us. I wonder if you would join me today in saying, God, I want our church to reach the lost. God, I wanna see you change the world through me and through our church. I'm gonna pray that for you right now. Father, as a church family, we thank you that every single one of us, we know you because someone else led us to you. Someone else brought us to you. And God, I pray as a church family that we would be faithful in bringing our neighbors, our coworkers to you. Lord, that we'd continue to be faithful to your word and to each other, to giving and serving and praying so that you can continue to shine this lighthouse in the darkness. Lord, as a people, that we would have the heart to run into the burning building, that we would have the heart to lay down our lives to reach those who don't yet have eternal life. Lord, we look at Acts 2, that these believers, they were devoted, but you added to their number. And God, we make it our prayer, would you add to our number, not for the sake of our number, but for the sake of every single life who we want to be with us in the new heaven and the new earth and not anywhere else. Lord, would you add to this number for the sake of every marriage that needs restoration, of every soul that is in bondage, of every life and captive that needs to be set free. God, would you change the world through our faithfulness? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.